welcome to yet another edition of Rugby League Back Chat. It's been a busy old week in the world of Rugby League, plenty to get through, and I've got three men to help me do just that. Starting with Martin Sadler, the editor of League Express, Pete Smith, the Rugby League writer for the Evening Post, and in case there are any dodgy comments or dodgy calls, there is one man here to give out red cards and sim bins if necessary, Steve Ganson, the head of match officials at the RFL. Welcome, gents. It's uh, It has been a busy old week, plenty to discuss, but... Let's start on the field because there have been some really interesting results and I think the obvious one is London Broncos defeating Leeds Rhinos. The Broncos won that game 18-16. Martin, I'll come to you first. What a result for London Broncos. Everybody said at the start of the season they'd struggle to win a game. Mm. They've now won three out of seven. Um, last Friday night was their first away win of the season. Uh, and the way they did it, that was <clears throat> that was the thing that was so striking because they came back with two late tries. Leeds looked to be safe with about seven or eight minutes to go in the game, um, and the Broncos hit them with two late scores to you know and, and a conversion at the end to to win by two points. I think Peter, you were there. I mean, it must have been an absolute shock for Leeds Rhinos and their supporters. Yeah, it, it was. There were um, <coughs> there were sixteen eight up with about six minutes to go. And then conceded back-to-back -back tries, which I mean, it's not acceptable, is it, to be 16-8 up and with six minutes to go? It's pretty lose. exciting though when it happens, but isn't it? <laughs> great entertainment for the yeah. um, for the fans. So, well, certainly the, the away fans, uh, not so much the home fans. These were actually booed off at half time when they were trailing eight nil. Um, the, the funny thing is, I thought Leeds played better actually against London than they did the week before against Hull. Mm. Um, they didn't offer a great deal in the first half. But for 20 minutes in the second half, when they scored 16 unanswered points, they looked like a good team. I mean, you were there, Matt, you'd, you'd probably agree with that. But they just can't seem to seem to sustain it. The defence isn't isn't good enough. The well, the defence was actually a little bit better, but it was a different problem on um, last week. They, they couldn't defend kicks. All three of London's tries came from kicks. And the last one, the winning try with a couple of minutes to go, Leeds didn't contest the kick. And that's that's a worrying sign. So it's just really a weakness near to their own line is what you're saying defensively. I think near, you know, they're, they're struggling to defend yeah, well, against, de defend the, the, the last 10 metres. In the, the previous games against um, St Helens when Saints got on top, Leeds, I mean, Leeds played quite well in that game. And against Wakefield and against Hull, big men were running at them. They were dropping off tackles. That wasn't quite the case against London, but they but they couldn't defend they couldn't defend kicks, and they look all at sea on on last tackle plays. It's no good defending for five tackles, is it? If you concede seed on the last, so no. worrying signs for them. But the positive is the the attack was good. They scored some good tries, um, and so for twenty minutes they looked like a decent team. But they can't sustain it. They've looked good in patches through most of the games this season, but but they haven't got anything like an 80-minute performance Do you think they've yet. got any changes they can make that will start getting the results? I mean, yeah, well, that, that's the tricky thing, isn't there? There's a mm. couple of players to come in. Cal Ablett's not played yet this season. Obviously, he's an mm. experienced player. Um, Dom Crosby, not come in yet. He'd had something up, up front in the middle of the field, I think. But other than that, I think it's, I think it's getting close to the time where the established players aren't doing it. They've got a very good academy. There's some really talented kids in there. Maybe it's going to get to be um, to be the time to bring some of those in. Dave Furner did do that last week. He brought um, Tom Holroyd in, teenage prop, who was very highly rated. He only got about 10, 15 minutes, but he looked he looked um, 
pretty much at home. This sure. Callum McClellan, the um, young halfback. Everybody's expecting him to make his debut but soon, aren't they? I just want to let's say, him a go. Leeds have been, you know, poor, and no doubt that's been the case. But let's talk about London, Steve. Mm. London Broncos, three wins out of seven. Some people are saying they won't even win a game at the start of the season. Now they're four points clear of the last two Super League champions. They've been, they've just been a breath of fresh air, haven't they? Well, it, it, they've done really, really well. I think, like you say. Um, it's very, it's very dangerous to assume that someone's not going to win a game, and obviously they proved a, a lot of people wrong that. But um, when you look at it as well, we started the new year with the the strapline and new beginnings, etc. Um, one of the things that everybody's in in the competition have wanted is is results that can't, you know, can't that be can't be predicted. And yeah. and this year, when you when you have a look at the league table, you know, you've Huddersfield. Uh, Wigan and Leeds towards the bottom of the league and London going up there. Um, it just proves that, you know, it, it adds excitement, it adds discussion like what we're talking about now. And, and it's really what the game what the game needs and, and the team that comes up from the championship um, to be able to compete and win games is really what the competition is all about. Absolutely. So uh, massive credit to London, you've got to say, and, and they've deserved the victories. Well, I remember writing a piece actually for Rugby League World uh, a couple of months ago saying, you know, that potentially the most important club in Super League is London Broncos. Because if if the London team can do really well uh, and can establish itself as a Super League club and therefore hopefully boost its mm -hmm. attendances and everything else and, and gain more, um, you know, coverage in, in London, that will do the game more good than anything else. Because... You know, London Broncos are probably the only team in the competition, I think, that if they did well, they could actually influence the amount of the next TV contract, you know, by getting more people in London watching the game. I think that's quite important. Pete, a word on, on Danny Ward, because he's given so many players opportunities from right back when he took the job, um, the likes of Kieran Dixon, who didn't really have it his own way in Super League first time round. They've got promoted, they've lost some key players, but Jordan Abdul's come in. He's taken his opportunity he wanted as a halfback and was fantastic on Friday night. Luke Yates was an overseas signing, no one really knew. Everyone were rolling their eyes thinking, oh, just another journeyman. average journeyman coming over. He's been fantastic for him as well. How much credit does Danny Ward deserve for the job he's done? Oh, he, deserves, he deserves massive credit. Remember when he took over from um, Danny Henderson, people, people were saying, oh, well, that's a, a huge blow for, mm -hmm. for London and, and they'll they'll go downhill from here. But they haven't. They've He's guided them to promotion in his first season. They've got three wins in Super League in his second season. And he's a, he, you used the word breath of, the term breath of fresh air, didn't you? He is. He's totally different to any other yeah. um, coach in the That's competition. That's what's so attractive about him, is He's it? a complete character. He's, he's, what you see is what you get. He's an, he's an ordinary sort of bloke. Yeah. But he's, he's <coughs> great to deal with. And he's, the players obviously respond to him. I mean, I obviously covering Leeds have known him for, for quite a while. And I have to be honest, 14 years ago, if you'd, you'd asked me to list the Leeds team from top to bottom, who who was likely to go on to be a successful coach? I mean, someone like Kevin Sinfield would be up at the top, maybe Rob Burrow, mm -hmm. Dave Ferner, and 17th would have been Danny Ward. <laughs> and, you know, I, I mean, he, he would admit that. But, but he's obviously got something, and it's working, and it's, it's great for him. The thing is, the players are responding. Well, it's, a message. it's not it, it's not just a fluke as well. I mean, Danny Danny was involved with the England uh, Academy setup. And he's done his apprenticeship. He worked with Andrew Henderson for years. David used the chairman, then give him the support of then taking taking over the team and putting his own identity on. 
they got the team promoted, and then I think London did a a really good uh, a really good piece in that they they stay very very loyal mm-hmm. to the players that have been successful for sure. them. They kept the nucleus of that squad as a reward together and give them the opportunity to to go on into Super League and prove themselves, and and they are doing. So I think there's a message in that, you know, they didn't go and change everything wholesale. They didn't say, oh, wait, maybe we need a different coach now as we're in Super League. Mm-hmm. David Hughes and his, and his club have, have stuck behind the people that have been successful. And I think the results on the field show that they're rewarding the, the club for that loyalty. And one of the things that's really quite important about, about you know, clubs generally is re- recruitment. You know, the clubs that get recruitment right generally are the clubs that, that do well. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought the master in, 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 in this field is, is Daryl Powell at Castleford Tigers, who seems to be able to sign players, you know, from fairly obscure backgrounds sometimes and turn them into Super League stars. But Danny Ward, I think, is is following in his footsteps in that regard. You know, Jordan Abdul... You know, a lot of people sort of said, oh, Jordan Abdul's not really made the grade at Hull. You know, is he is he the right man for London Broncos? Well, he certainly seems to be at the moment, doesn't yeah, he? But there's a, and again, you mentioned Luke Yates from Newcastle Knights, you know. There's players like Jordan Abdul. Again, he, he came through a very, very successful England youth system who has been, you know, chomping at the bit to get an opportunity and regular on-field game time that perhaps he couldn't get at another club, i.e. Hull. And London have given him the opportunity and he's proven that so far that he can can hold his own and do very, very well given the opportunity. As Pete's just said, there may be people in in the Leeds system that can come in and and they will take their opportunity. You mentioned McLennan, et cetera. The time comes, but the people obviously need their opportunities. And then... One game really isn't enough or two games for young no. players. They've got to have a, a period of time and some confidence. And you'd look at Abdul and say that he's got a bit of that. Yeah. And and he's obviously doing quite well at the moment. It's worth mentioning with, with Danny Ward, though, his dad as well. I mean, I don't know whether his dad, David, has any input, but he was a successful mm-hmm. coach yeah. um, for, for a long period at a lot of clubs in a different era. But, yeah, um, he's very different from his dad. He's very different from his dad, though. Is Danny? Isn't well, to- he? Totally different. Absolutely. I don't you think know, there's yeah. anyone quite like Danny yeah. Ward, is there? <laughs> but um, David was probably a more serious guy. Ab- you know, ab- absolutely. That's the thing about Danny is he's yeah. just totally, totally. I don't know if carefree is the right word, but, um, but it gives that impression. Yeah, it gives that it gives the impression he loves what he's doing. You know, and he he enjoys every minute of it. You know, and, and that, seems, that's clearly rubbing off on on the players, isn't it? I mean, they're... Their, I would think their approach to, to last week was quite simple. Let's just go and, and have fun. There's no pressure on us. Let's see what we can do. Mm. And it and it worked. All the pressure was on Leeds and they couldn't handle it. And the pressure this weekend is on Hull because Hull go down to well, Trailfinder Stadium the, and, you know, that's a challenge. It's not an easy place to go. I mean, Castleford did a fantastic job down mm. there to, to have a big win, but Wakefield, who were a good side, have lost down there. Wigan have lost down there. It's a plastic pitch. It's It's... I mean, it's a tidy little little place. I've been there a few times, enjoy watching rugby there, but it's the, the surroundings aren't particularly palatial. Mm. And if you go there and you're not you're not on your game, you'll get turned over. The thing is now, though, clubs aren't going to be facing London no. thinking, oh, it's an easy two points. They know what points. they're up against. I yeah. would think Hull are going to be really focusing on, on this week. And I think Huddersfield are down there yeah. fairly soon as well. Yeah, twice fairly soon. That's yeah. really but crucial. If, if they can pick up another couple of wins... Mm. 
you know, how many points do you need to stay up? Well, when you look at the league table now, Huddersfield, Wigan and, and, and Leeds are four points behind the rest. It, you know, the gap is starting to open. Yeah. Steve, will, will, will there be people, will there be other teams looking at the league table, looking at London have won three games out of seven, and be starting to be concerned at how frequent London are picking up results? Because it's not unfair to say everyone thought London would mm -hmm. go down. And... They are winning games and are pulling away from some teams. So, will there be teams worried about that? For sure. You're going to go there and uh, there's a journey, obviously. Mm. You're going to go down there and be playing on an artificial pitch. So, that's different. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm sure that there'll be a few teams that will I'll be really looking over the shoulder and, and hoping that they don't they don't get too far in front mm -hmm. it's, or, or it's going to be a right scrap uh, towards the bottom. And then, as we all know, you've got a tough Easter period coming up. Where teams have got to play over that over that period two games and and that can have a big bearing on the league table. Then once you get Easter, as as Pete mentioned, everybody forgets um, Brian McDermott started down in London. <laughs> yes, and, yeah, yeah. and, and ended did at a Leeds. similar job and ended yeah. at Leeds and did you know a fantastic job as everyone knows. So you know Danny and Brian. You, you never know where that that leads in the future. You know, they, they both seem to be. Well, doing if I were leads, I'd be making things. long term plans to. Well, possibly, <laughs> yeah. But let, let's let, let's not. I mean, moving on straight away. Well, yeah, he's yeah, doing absolutely. a great job at London. He's he's settled down there. He's a sorry yeah. lad now, where he yeah. keeps <laughs> keeps saying. Yeah. Um, and you know, let's have London Still can hang on to him for a, He certainly has, yeah. <laughs> but let's have London can hang on to him for a. Absolutely. I think we're but back to I the beginning. Think, I would think clubs will, if he keeps doing yeah. this, clubs will certainly be, be looking back at Back to the beginning, that you know, you you want a competition that the team that comes up from the championship can win games mm. and become a real threat to the other of course, uh, the yeah. other teams. It's... And I think the credit to to London is is absolutely massive. I think yeah. it's been great for the competition. Yeah. I want to pick up on a point that Steve made a few minutes ago about opportunities for young players. Jordan Abdul was the player you cited because there has been something in the papers this week in League Express. Lee, Lee Greenwood saying that the RFL are refusing to sanction them playing any reserve grade games because they didn't enter their competition at the start of the year. They wanted to play Halifax. They weren't allowed. Um, and they're, they're very frustrated, basically, because they built a squad together So in with the view of going to reserve grades next year. Um, is, is Martin, is it right that we're effectively preventing players from getting game time as as Lee wants to get for some of his fringe players? I think it's absolute madness. Absolute madness. You know, we've, we've got clubs, you know, like Wigan, for example, who have got a squad of 30-odd players, a named squad, all given squad numbers, and yet only 17 can play at any one time. The others, you know, you've got you've got kids at Wigan who have played one game in God knows how many weeks. It's just absolute crazy. Of course, they go on dual registration to clubs like Swinton and, and, and so on and so forth, or go on loan to other clubs. But really, you know, that we, we, we want to see those players playing for their own clubs and, you know, bursting through the ceiling to um, play, play, play for the first team. I mean, one kid who, um, for example, I've, I've sort of noticed this season is, is Harry Smith of Wigan, yeah. who's playing for Swinton. And, you know, Harry Smith was absolutely brilliant when he played for the academy against the Australian combined high schools. But, you know, you, how long is a player like that, for example, going to have to wait? 
before he gets his chance at, at, at Wigan. The only the only opportunities they get are when other players get injured. So of course, if if players don't get injured, they tend not to get those opportunities. And I think that's really unsatisfactory. Steve, that said, just quickly, if the clubs aren't agreeing to sign up for the RFL competition, then why should the RFL let them play reserve grade when they want? It, to be fair, it would be wrong of me to comment on, yeah. on this because um, everything that's occurred, I I'm not furnished on. Um, yeah. So it would it would be unfair for me. I'd be reporting something that I may but I may not be entirely accurate about. So from that point of view, I, I don't know. Um, the background to this particular case. Thanks, Steve. Well, after a short break, we'll be talking to Steve about what's going on in the world of match officials. Stay right here for the next part of Rugby League Back Chat. To rugby league back chat we're going to turn our matters to officiating because you will know by now that we have steve ganson on the panel today steve a lot of change for the for the match officials this year with the change in the rules and so on so on and so forth there's been a lot of talk about it will it work will it won't work in your view how have the rule changes gone so far i think they've been tremendous um been really really delighted um i think when we set back with uh, Super League and the RFL last July and we, we were looking more into ways that we can uh, improve the product. Um, if we'd have been at this stage uh, back then, we'd, we would have been very, very happy with, with where we're at. So I'd say an absolute thumbs up. Um, it's not just been done by um, the referees, it's been done with um, a lot of consultation with clubs, players, coaches, who've all bought in very, very well mm -hmm. and have all played their part. It's been a game, it's been a game wide uh, evolution, I've got to say, and, and everybody's played a great part in it. So thoroughly delighted where we're up to with it. Guys, for you as, as spectators, we'll start with you, Pete. How, oh, how have you found the rules? Yeah, it's, it's been miles better. Yeah, the, the players are getting on with it, aren't they? I think that's a good point by Steve. Everybody seems to have taken to it, yeah. not, not just the officials, obviously, they're, they're policing it. But the players as well and the coaches. Um, I mean, nobody wants to to watch two hour games in in on a Thursday night in in February. Now we're getting games games are kicking off at quarter to eight and finishing at half nine or so, and that's that's just much better for everybody. We're getting more the balls in play longer. We're getting more of what the fans pay for, and it's a much better spectacle to to um, to watch. I think I'd, no downside to it as far as I'm concerned. I just wonder, Steve, whether we ought to apply the shot clock to the uh, video referee decision. Well, there's always there's always been a, a discussion around that. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to put a clock on something that forces someone to make, <laughs> to make a, decision a decision that's yeah. incorrect, then there's always the other side of the debate, Martin, that people say, well, you shouldn't have a timer on it. All we're yeah, really yeah. bothered about when clubs and livelihoods... A mischievous question of yeah, mine, I think. Put, it, yeah. it has, no, it's yeah. been put there. People have, have suggested amount of replays. 
uh, two replays and a decision. Yeah. Uh, other people have suggested maybe a time mm -hmm. gets put on it. Then there's mm. been the captain's challenge. There's been all kinds of things yeah. suggested mm. what can happen. But like with all rules you, or all changes, you've got to look at the direct input, both positive and negative, that they mm. can have on the game going forward. If I were to be mischievous as well, following on from Martin, the talk with the video referee is it's there to try and prove the referee's wrong. They've got to conclusively prove that the referee's on-field decision is incorrect. Yeah. Surely if after, say, 90 seconds, 60 seconds, they can't prove that, then... Yeah. You're just going to stick with the on-field decision anyway, so a shot clock wouldn't. And if you look at the timings, that's what what's been happening. If mm -hmm. you if you look at um, this year's video referee and ask you for you won't think of uh, an incident that's been particularly controversial around the video. Um, it's not been as intrusive, I think, no, this this no. year the video referee. I I certainly concede on that one. The referees have been encouraged by myself after again consultation with people and mm. and the game and broadcasters etc. That we want the referees on the field to make a decision. Mm. We got rid of checking. We got rid of the checking on foul play. Mm. We got rid of players lying there, feigning injuries, uh, and hoping there are penalty being given by the video referee. Video referees only come in on foul play now to recommend either simbin or dismissal. So there's no benefit in someone lying on the ground. On replays, restarts a play, it's two quick looks and then straight to the outcome go with the on-field decision. <laughs> Referees are expected to make a live call on the field, to the judge has started on their accurate live call, and the referees are there to over, only overturn the live call if there's sufficient evidence to overturn it. If not, as you say, go with the pitchers, make the decision and get the ball back into play. That's going back to what the, the video referee was originally brought in to do, isn't it? Was to, to basically to cut out clear Errors. Yeah. We want confident we've gone, referees. We've, away from... we've got to, the referees have got to make decisions on the field, and I know that they don't always please everyone. <laughs> Someone's got to make them. The video referees have got to make them. And as you alluded to earlier, no one wants to go to two hours and fifteen minutes of rugby and watching downtime and replay after replay after replay in the ground. Sometimes you just got to go with the man on the field. The decision's there. He's made a live call. Can't be overturned. Unsufficient evidence to overturn the call. Stick with the live call and crack on with the game. The one thing I would like to see, Steve, and going along with the tenor of what you've just said, I still don't like the video referee making calls on obstruction. You know, I would like to see that cut out from the video referee's role. And if the referee on the field doesn't see an obstruction when a try is scored, then let's just assume that there isn't one. Because so often, the video referee, you know, when you slow things down and so on, you see a, a player perhaps running into or, in, in, or close to a, another player, it can sort of exaggerate the, um, the degree to which obstruction occurred, in my view. We've been and, very, very... You know, um, Again, we've been very consistent on that, and that came with a lot of work with clubs and coaches. Um, we work on very, very simple uh, system of obstruction, which is based on collision on the outside shoulder, hitting the defender front mm. on. It's not based on football decisions. Mm -hmm. The referees are not uh, coaches. They're not players who rule mm. on rule, rulings. Last year, we, uh, we had a, if you remember the summer bash, we stripped the video rate back down yeah. to where it started, mm. right at the beginning of Super League in conjunction with Sky and, and Neville Smith, and we took it right back and we took away obstruction, 
we took away of challenges in the air and we took it and just basically stripped it right back to groundings mm. and mm. how it first began. And I really like that, I've and got then to say. <laughs> we fed it back and it was fed back of a full, full discussion. And one of the things people said is, we should go with best practice where best practice allows because an obstruction or otherwise can cost a team promotion, relegation, finals, etc. And if the video referee is there, then they should use it if needed. But again, my direction to the referees is we want you to make decisions on the field and we want you to rule. We don't want you just using the default as a video because what you got to remember with these books is one week they're on TV yeah. and they've got to make that decision and they've got a video referee. The other week they haven't. So I would often say to him, look, just get on the field and referee in the way, feel free to referee, knowing that if you do get caught on something, you've got the video, but next week you might not have. Mm -hmm. So we're encouraging the referees to make decisions and be accountable on the field. I'd, I'd, I'd like to see it go back to just, just grounding, because you mentioned obstruction. You could say that about a lot of, a lot of different yeah. offences, couldn't you? But... The thing is, if there's a clear obstruction, the referee will spot it. Yeah, I mean yeah. That, that's my that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. The, the, there are very few where 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 you see on on a televised game where where they don't. So let's just go back to grounding. Has he got the ball down? And then that I think that will cut out a lot of interpretation. Leave leave the referee to deal with. with as Pete like says, with with matters such as what you're discussing, the game requires a level of maturity. Mm. So. If we're going to go down having used such as what, what you're putting forward here, there's no point in us getting five rounds in mm -hmm. to a competition and a team loses on an obstruction mm -hmm. and everyone's saying, oh, well, maybe we should have checked that. Maybe it's the wrong way not to check here and it's now cost this and that. Or a coach saying, well, that, that potentially, that decision could mm -hmm. cost me my job. What somewhere down the line is, there has to be a level of maturity when you make the decisions. If you're going to take them out the hands of the officials, checking, fine. Well, we've just got to live with the call of the people. Well, the maturity the is we've got to accept referees' decisions. Exactly. Sometimes, while knowing that sometimes, occasionally, they will They'll get them wrong. Nobody's wrong. perfect, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Not, I don't think know. Steve ever made a wrong call again. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I did. And <laughs> One or two famous ones. Yeah, I, I did. And, that, <laughs> and that's the thing of it. And it, it. Again, it's like you've got to come back from uh, errors and the referees will make errors and they work very hard they don't make the errors deliberately they put under massive amounts of scrutiny mm. uh, not just by the game by us yeah by the management of the referees mm. put them under a tremendous amount of scrutiny and accountability for for the decisions that they make on the field and they work tremendously hard and what i can say is that there is nobody more disappointed than the referees themselves when they get something wrong I know that's very difficult to pour out there, but mm. it, it, it is factual and we do hold them to account. Is there ever a temptation to allow the referees to, to speak publicly about, about decisions that have been made? I know a couple of years back there was a Twitter account where they, they answered mm. questions and, and that stopped happening. I've got to say, I if I'm ever not quite sure on why a decision has been made, I often will message one of them and they give me a brilliant explanation mm. and it, my understanding of the game has grown from their help. Yeah. Is there ever... They, that temptation to allow them to speak publicly on, on decisions like I that. I think it's difficult because not every individual is the same. Mm -hmm. And I know uh, some people that would take that within their stride. Yeah. But we've got to also look at the fact that we've got to put them out on a game next week 
and we've got to keep the confidence high and that's why there's a management system i.e. myself to kind of be a barrier towards some of that and as you say the referees will gladly and often do will are happy to speak mm. i think just when you when you come off a field and there is something controversial to compound it mm. but because very very often people know they've got videos laptops that can rewind things that someone's right or wrong to wheel uh, a chap out who's just done a really really tough game just to really put him there to admit he's got something wrong is mm. not the best thing for the for no. to get performances from them mm -hmm. and also to look after them mentally yeah. and to be in a good place so however i don't believe in, in in not having the referees come to to things like we're doing today or to go to clubs or to work with players or to spend time in and around i'm all in favor of that just putting them straight up there after a match, I think, would be would be a lot to ask. I notice in Australia, um, Steve, I'm sure you've noticed it. Graham Annesley is now, you yeah. know, now they've kicked off there. He's doing a, you know, forty five minute sort of session on a Monday, Monday afternoon, Australian time, just reviewing the games in in, in the NRL and picking out any obvious areas of controversy and so on to sort of explain, you know, what, what happened and, and, and whether it or not it was, you know, the right decision and so on and so forth. I'm just talking about the game yeah. generally. I just wonder whether there's scope for that, for so someone like you for that. Did you watch I'm that sure you, yesterday? Sure, I watched I've Graham. Not, I've not watched it yeah. all, unfortunately. I watched this I watched Graham, and I, what I'd like to do is I'd like to revisit that with you in about 12 weeks. Yeah. Because I think Graham, I think Graham did a, a tremendous job yesterday. And I'm kind of putting myself back to round one this year. We started with uh, Wigan playing St. Helens, um, Warrington playing Leeds, Hull playing OKR. And round one, you can often go in and be very, very uh, upbeat and things happen. But like with everything like that, you're always in a position where it's not going to go great on every game, every single no. week. And it's where it changes to. Does it just change after a couple of weeks of nothing but negative that doesn't really do the sport much good in the long run? Um, I thought Graham did tremendous, by the way. I thought he did a great job. But bear in mind, Graham, Graham is not the referee's boss. No. He's head of football, so he's commenting on a lot of other matters, not just decisions. Um, Bernard Sutton's head of, head of refereeing, so I think it's good maybe to have someone that overviews the all of the football policy and refereeing is a section to it. If there's something particularly um, interesting or controversial that he covers as the boss of that department. The actual referee's boss just going up there week in, uh, week out, talking about every uh, individual game, I'm not quite sure that's the direction no. we need to go to, but... In 10 or 12 weeks, when Graham's on about round 10 in the NRL, I'll be really interested to see the direction it, it gets taken in. Steve, I think, sorry, I think one, one thing people watching would probably like to know is how do you allocate, and, and do you do it, who does it, how, how do you allocate referees to particular yeah. games? There's, there's certainly a perception that certain referees, or certain clubs have certain referees more often than, yeah. than others. Is 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 it random? Is there a process? No, I allocate the games. Uh, all the referees' um, rosters 
uh, are taken into account. We try to um, have a have a spread of matches. However, what you've got to rely on, we only again this was part of a, a consistency process. We only use a narrow panel of video referees. That was put forward that they felt the game felt that was a particularly specialist role, and to get an element of consistency, it was important to use the same video referees on a more regular basis because they get used to the pressure, camera angles, what they can and can't get, increase the speed of decision, etc. So what that means is that if you look at the games, for example, we'll take this week, Thursday night, Wakefield play. Mm -hmm. Now, the referee who referees a Wakefield game, Friday morning then has to fly to Catalan to be the video referee on the Catalan game, which then takes him out of Sunday appointments, naturally. Yeah. Another referee, uh, take, you may take, say, Chris Kendall, for example, he may referee a Thursday night game, but he also backs up as a touch judge because that's his secondary specialist role. So some of my referees have a secondary role as a video referee and some have a secondary role as a touch judge. So we, we operate that system. So which are the guys um, who do video refereeing? Then, the so? guys that do the video refereeing are Chris Kendall, Robert Hicks and Ben Thaler. Right. Now... They're the three regular ones that we use occasionally when there's magic weekends or there's extra games put on TV. We may have to bring someone in from the squad just to cover the allocation of numbers, etc. Um, but what, what we do do is uh, look at the games. Obviously, we know the major water class. There's major fixtures as well. Uh, I'm also looking at develop, development of officials also. I'm looking at which teams they've had in the weeks leading up recently. Of course, sometimes there's issues on games. For example, if there was a disciplinary matter, um, I wouldn't use the same referee who may be involved in a disciplinary matter involving a player with that team again on the following week. So there's lots of things goes into the allocation. So there are various reasons why it can't be random. Martin, well, you can't be hold, random. hold that thought because we've got to have a quick break. We will uh, let Steve have a little bit of a rest before putting him to task once again right here <laughs> on Rugby League Back Chat. back to the final part of this week's Rugby League Back Chat. Before the break, we were talking to Steve about refereeing matters. Steve, just a few more questions. I don't want to keep talking about this, but one thing that has been in the news is about the two-referee system. Mm -hmm. um, the job was advertised. It's now disappeared and hasn't doesn't seem to have been filled by anyone. What What is the latest with the move to get to two referees? And, and how about Matt Chechin? Because he was widely assumed to be getting that job. It's... Um... It's not a no, mm -hmm. um, it's under review. Um, the, co the, the clubs, the Super League clubs, um, I'd like, uh, and rightly so, more, more information around it. Um, they want to consider it further for the benefits of our competition. Um, and that's the point that we're up to at the moment. It's not a no, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. it, it's under consideration. However, um, Matt Chechin had um, had finished his position with the NRL. Um, we tried extensively um, to bringing him over to the UK, um, but due to the UK um, immigration, there's no government-based endorsement for match officials in the UK. They're not classed as sports people. So we had to have a, a technical role uh, for him to do, which would have been around the the introduction of the two referee mm-hmm. system. And due to that being placed um, on hold at the moment, or you know needing further evidence, etc., um, now was at the right time to do that. And Matt has um, has took up another contract with I, the. I NRL think we read didn't moment. we that it was going to cost three hundred twenty five thousand pounds to introduce the two referee system. And I've got to say, the rugby league isn't flush with money at the moment. And I would have thought that there were better. If you've got three hundred twenty-five thousand pounds in a drawer somewhere at Red Hall, there are better ways to spend it. I would have thought, Steve, because I don't see that. Um, you know, you, you look at what's happening in Australia, and there are quite a lot of Australian people who say they'd prefer to revert to one referee there. And I think the evidence seems to be that they're making one referee very much the boss on the field now that you know the original idea of two referees having equal responsibility seems to have fallen by the wayside so surely you know if, if we're going to spend that sort of money you know what we need to do more effectively is promote and market rugby league rather than try and referee it ever more perfectly well just to cover that martin the um super league would would have a, a major input into the financial yeah um, but even that i mean they you know they're, they're not yeah. all you know. So it, it's not about the the money being placed there just to to be spent. It would it would take a, a fair amount of consolidation mm. and discussion, and Super League would would have a huge part to play in that. Mm. Um, however, the, as you say, there are people that feel that the one referee system uh, serves the game better, and mm. there are people who absolutely swear, swear by the two referee system. Hence the point that if the game is going to make a decision. Which is a huge decision mm. um, to take up the mantle of two referees. Then the people and uh, who run the game and the clubs need to be convinced it's for the betterment of the competition. Which would be your preference? Hence the reason. I I don't have a preference other than what we do is we do the very very best for the referees on the field mm-hmm. to make the very very best decisions. Now. The job is if I've got one referee to work with, then our remit is to do that with what we have. If we have two referees uh, to work with, we'll do that. However, my experience is around a one referee system, obviously, because that's all I've I've refereed in in, in the UK, etc. And internationally, that's where my experience lies. So for us, if we went to a two referee system, we'd embrace it, and we'd make the very best of it. At the moment, I only know. The best of 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 the one referee system, but we spent a considerable amount of time working with the NRL, looking at what they consider the perceived benefits of having two referees are, mm-hmm. um, which they say is obviously a cleaner rook, um, a better ten meters, a more accurate ten meters, and an extra pair of eyes on the field. Now, as Martin said, it depends who you want to speak to as to the the judgment of how successful that system is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's right that what the clubs want to do is not just to jump into something immediately until they're well-informed, they can make a decision to go for it or otherwise. Um, and whichever um, 
we at the RFL uh, around the referees department would support. I think one thing one thing we we should be aiming for is a standardised set of rules between yeah. both major competitions. Mm. Really, when, when we have internationals, yeah. and at we've the got end that of the now. year, it, it, that's it, fabulous. I mean, we've done that. We got rid of the straddle. The, mm. When I first got the job, where a player used to just put his foot outside the dead ball line, we got rid of that. Oh, we went to a tap on the forty <laughs> twenty uh, instead of the scrum. We've now got the zero tackle from the twenty meter restart. In fact, shot clocks. This year, when we played the World Club Championship, when Wigan plays Sydney Roosters, it is genuinely the first time I've ever had a meeting with a club, as Pete alludes to here, where the rules are not massively different. Mm. We did so well last year in the World Cup final, or Wayne Bennett will tell you, uh, in Australia, partially because our players have been playing under the same set mm. of guidelines. If you watch the NRL now, we are no... We are no no difference mm -hmm. in terms of the ge general rules of the game. So talking about so I think the NRL, we've got to a good place. I don't know whether we all saw John Bateman's I was going to debut bring myself. for Gold Coast, at the, not for, for for Canberra at the Gold Coast at the weekend, but uh, I thought he was fantastic and, and did great credit to Super League. Yeah, Pete, what what did what did you think of, well, of John Bateman? Why, I mean, why should why should anybody be be shocked by that? We've seen him tearing it up in Super League for, for absolutely. I'm not sure how many years since his debut. The, the the perception, obviously, from the Australian point of view, is that players over here aren't any good. But they go over there, and, and, and increasingly, they're going and they're becoming some of the best players in the competition. More Gareth successful Ellis. going there than some of the Australians coming here. Well, exactly. Exactly. I don't think it was a surprise to anybody. No. Certainly, Wigan fans won't have been shocked to see people saying, oh, where's this kid come from? <laughs> he's, he's a yeah. world-class talent. We know that. How well, certainly wasn't shot for Canberra. Because they put, well, to be fair, Peter Mulholland in their recruitment, they put the stall out for John Bateman a long time yeah. ago. Mm -hmm. So they, they knew exactly what they were getting yeah. with John, John Bateman. Make <clears throat> no mistake about it. And um, I reckon potentially they, you know, they did their homework. So There's it going to be all the English players soon at Canberra. George, George, George Williams yeah, is, yeah. is the top. How good would it be for the English game if Canberra could win the NRL this year, Martin? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it may it, a bit of a fantasy, I think, but I, you know, you never know. They, they the, the big test for them is this weekend. They're playing Melbourne mm -hmm. at home, and that's I mean, Melbourne were absolutely magnificent last Thursday in in their opening game against Brisbane. I thought they looked really mm -hmm. smart right from the off. Mm -hmm. So if if Canberra could beat Melbourne. Um, then that really would be a massive statement. It's a double-edged sword, though, isn't it? It's great to see British lads going over there and doing really well, but better players are going to Australia than they're coming from the NRL at the moment, and is that a good thing for Well, um, the thing that frustrates me a bit, Pete, is that we seem to be making... We've got a marquee player rule now where two clubs can have marquee... where a club can have two marquee players, and yet most of those seem to be players who played in the NRL. And you know we're not we're not giving marquee status to British players now. You know, for example, John John Bateman. If if ever there's a definition of a marquee player, it, it it's him. And you know, I, I'd love to see him, you know, back in Super League at some stage. You know, but earning the sort of money that he deserves to earn for being as good as he is. And um, you know, I, I I always hoped uh, when it was first introduced that the marquee player rule would only apply to British players or to European players, you know, so that we we try and keep our best players in in our own competition. Talking to marquee players, I mean, one 
one's been in the news for wrong reasons this week, Tom Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Gosh. What, what a shame for him. I, I think he's the most exciting finisher in the game. He's the sort so of player I. that when he gets the ball, you sit up, you think, well, what's going to happen here? And he's done his ACL for the second time in... Um, in two years, I think that's. But just you look at it, you look at Tom Johnson, and, and you'd say that you know it, Tom on one flank and probably Tommy Makinson on the other um, are as good a yep. as good a finishes as you're going to find in any competition, Absolutely. both here, yeah. here at, and in the NRL. So yeah, it's it's huge. He's extraordinarily unlucky, isn't he? A bit following in the footsteps of Ben Curry, I suppose, mm -hmm. in, in, in that sense. Who I mean, it's great to see him back now on on, on the field and playing well for Warrington. But I, I certainly think Tom Johnson is, as you say, probably the most exciting player in the game at the moment, or has been. Um, and also a very sensible young man. I thought the way he handled yeah. that question from Bill Arthur on Sky, you know, a few people were upset that Bill asked him about moving to a, a potentially mm. bigger club, but I thought he handled it brilliantly, handled himself well and, you know, really um, did well for Wakefield Trinity. And, yeah, that, uh, you know, great kid. The fact that, obviously, he's out of action now for a... For a the rest of this season, but the fact that Wakefield have been able to keep somebody like that on yeah. a long-term contract shows the progress they're making, doesn't it? I mean, a few years ago, they would have sold Tom Johnson and and cashed the cheque like yeah. they did with people like Kyle Amor, sure. Gareth Ellis to Leeds, yeah. people like that. Well, look at but the work Michael, Michael Carter's done with, with Wakefield and, mm. and Chris Chester and, and that team that they've got on the field. But we're back to the same point again, is you look at, the quality of the competition. Everybody wanted teams to be able to, be to beat the beat each other on any yeah. given day. And the players that Wakefield have got in Tupu, Ben Jones, Bishop, Fafita, Fafita the halfbacks, they, they've a great side. But that's what the they game come, we really, you know, need to be saying. It comes back to what I said earlier about good. recruitment being so important, you know, and, and Wakefield have have shown it, a smaller budget probably than most clubs, but it makes you focus on getting the right, yeah. bringing the right talent in. And they've done a remarkable job in doing that, I think. Two other clubs that want to be competing for Super League glory at some point in the future, they don't even exist yet, but New York and a mysterious Canadian team that's been run by Eric Perez. The RFL confirmed on Monday that they were, they were accepted that they could have some potential in, in the competition they were going to be able to present to clubs who then, and then they gauge their support. Steve, I'm sure the referees are excited that there's a potential of a trip to uh, New York every every other week yeah. to, to go and do the job. What, what's your take on potentially more overseas or North American teams coming into the competition? Well, again, you look at what Toronto have brought in terms mm -hmm. of, uh, of exposure. Um, to the competition, uh, you know, I'm I, I'm very much on that. We've got to take the game to the places that that want want our sport, and you know, I, and I think it's it's a brave decision uh, to make, and and certainly um, very interesting uh, for rugby league. So, you know, I don't know uh, all the ins and outs of any bids, and and even some of the identity of the people. As I've said, I do. The referees department, but I'm, I'm sure that they'll um, the lads will be keen to have a have a trip to uh, to New York and see rugby league and 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 wherever else it is. Um, so for me personally, uh, game going far and wide can only be good. So will you be sending your top referees out to New York, Steve? Oh, <laughs> I'm sure I'll get my dude. Steve, Steve will be coming out of retirement. Yeah. <laughs> we never used to uh, we never used to go to places like that when I was refereeing. <laughs> Put it that way.
Uh, Pete, what's your take on on potentially more? Because there are some people that are sceptical, let, let's put it that way. Mm, I think it, it's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> if we could have a successful club in New York, it would be good for the game. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But can we have a successful club there? We, if we're going to do it, we have to make sure it's going to be a success um, rather than just jumping into it. Um, I don't know if it's maybe a little bit too early for another team across the Atlantic. Um, it'll depend on the people involved and the, the plan that they've put together. Um, but potentially, obviously, it's an, it's an exciting development. I mean, it's people in the game are maybe going to have to um, have to to rethink the way fans approach things. I mean, you, obviously, a New York club's not going to be bringing a huge amount of away fans. We're, we've got already got a Canadian team and a French team. It's going to it's going to change the culture of the game. I think if we're going to do it, we'll have to do it right. What's quite interesting, Pete, is that there is the very real prospect at some point in the not-too-distant future of a Super League that's got Catalans in it, Toulouse in it and Toronto mm. in it. You know, So if, if, if we actually got to that point and we had a 12-team Super League but with three Quarter. overseas mm. clubs, that would be an interesting dilemma, wouldn't it, for the, for, for the game because... You know, as you say, those three clubs, none of them would bring enormous away support. Um, and, you know, it might potentially, you know, it's difficult to know what the impact would be on, on the next TV contract. Uh, Martin, I guess the other concern as well is that needs to be considered is the Championship and League One clubs, the, the cost and the time it, it requires on them, players having to take time off to, to get over there. Sure. Is, is that a concern that two are coming in at once potentially? Well, we'll have to see whether two come in or even one comes in because, you know, we've not had a decision on any of them yet. But, you know, that's part of the problem of expanding the game, isn't it? And um, I think most players, most clubs have managed to take a reasonable squad over to Toronto so far, as far as I'm aware. I've not, I've not kept a... I think one or two have, one or two one or two have had problems. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's issues with fees. There are, there are, gonna, like there are going to be issues like that, aren't there? But for getting into the United States, it's not... Mm. Not easy as they they've tightened up a lot, so it will be a challenge for the game as a whole. And you know the, the RFL, it's one that the RFL needs to study very carefully. But um, the rewards of expansion, I think, are, are great, and so hopefully we can find a way to do it properly. Well, gentlemen, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for for this week. Don't forget, you can get all the information for everything that's happening on this channel by simply going to www.freesports.tv. That's all we've got time for this week. A big thanks to my guests, Martin, Steve and Pete for their contributions. We'll be back next week for another edition of Rugby League Bat Chat. Bye for now.